the New Zealand Tech Podcast. Brought to you by Gorilla Technology. Proactive and strategic IT. Greetings and welcome along to the New Zealand Tech Podcast. This is episode 311. I'm Paul Spain. And I'm Peter Hall. Welcome along to the New Zealand Tech Podcast, Peter. How are you? I am really good, thank you very much. Good start to the week. Well, thank you for uh, for taking the time out to uh, to come and join the show. Maybe you can fill listeners in. Since is this your first time on the podcast? No, I do, I've done one. I think it was last year or the year before when I was doing Digital Nations. That's the, right. It was uh, a little Expo. while ago. Yeah, wasn't it was it? a while yeah, ago. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so what's progressed since then? Well, I'm doing a, a few different things. I'm um, kind of running a solution innovation. Um, kind of innovation program at uh, one of New Zealand's largest uh, financial services company. And uh, on top of doing that, I also do a little radio tech segment every other week uh, on Radio Live. Oh, uh, yes, on Saturdays, to, don't you? Yeah, I talk yeah. to Carly Flynn, telling her about uh, a lot of home tech stuff, like, you know, what kind of stereo equipment should you put in and, you know, what to think about with Wi-Fi routers and things like that. Cool, cool. Oh, that's very good. Well, let's uh, jump in. Now, mm. First up, on the New Zealand front, there's been, I guess, some interest in what uh, Jeremy Clarkson, Richard Hammond and James May um, would, be, <laughs> would be doing with their uh, new show. Yeah. And how easy it was, is going to be to get around the world. Now, the word is that it'll be available in something like 200 countries, but of course, Amazon Prime TV, which is sort of distributing it, isn't. So there's been a bunch of speculation around that, mm. and, and the latest we're hearing um, is it's not just the Grand Tour that's going to be coming to New Zealand shores, but there's uh, a reasonably high likelihood that we'll actually be getting the full Amazon Prime TV treatment here, which I know there will be quite a bunch of listeners that will do as I do and um, have an Amazon Prime subscription already and consume the uh, through American uh, American subscription but yep. uh, this this sounds pretty pretty positive in some ways that we get we get another choice or is it or is it just going to make things more complicated and more difficult and will ruin the local <laughs> providers like Lightbox and, and Neon and, and Quickflix uh, maybe put a put a uh, um, a nail in, in, in the coffin there or something. Well, it's, it's an interesting one, isn't it? I mean, I, I think it's an obvious move in the sense that, of course, they need to do that if they're actually going to be taken serious <clears throat> as a global player for content. They have to do that kind of thing. And when you're buying a license or, or buying over players like that into your um, kind of ecosystem of content, you, you, you have to get as, as wide of a footprint as you can. I think the interesting thing for me, and, and, um, and actually to your point there about you know, what does it do for the, the providers that are already here is when you've got somebody like Netflix in New Zealand and now potentially Amazon, you've got Neon and you've got Lightbox, like we now digitally replicated the system that we had with Sky, which was the paying 60, 70, 80 bucks for the content, but we're now spreading them across, across say, three or four platforms. So where does it end and how many are people willing to subscribe to before it becomes a bit ridiculous? And it could be, I think it can go either way. So either you're going to be potentially seeing a, a, an upside to somebody like a Quickflix or, or a Lightbox because if they can buy the content in and they can become the aggregator of different platforms like HBO Online, Hulu, Amazon, Netflix, whatever, then it works. But if they don't, then I think that they it could be the nail in the coffin for them and people will rather go to the pure play like, I just want my Netflix, I just want my Amazon. Yeah, well, it's interesting with uh, Amazon at the moment. Now they've got a bunch of add-on options, so you can mm. buy the you know the core Amazon, but then you can add on other catalogs on top of it, mm. which is is that sort of aggregation uh, type model. Um, you know, I, I guess 
you know, I probably subscribe to much more stuff than I can actually consume. The Amazon content is good. Uh, my son Pablo, he's just turned uh, just turned six, and I guess I'd like to keep a little bit of a handle on what sort of content yeah. he watches. So um, he has a little um, Amazon tablet, so it's a Kindle Fire yeah. Kids edition. And then we've got a subscription to what's called, I think it's called Playtime, and it allows us to sort of, you know, have some confidence around the content, the content he's going to yeah. consume on that. So there's a whole lot of kid-friendly games mm. and uh, educational things, books and videos, but they're within a, a level that, uh, you know, he shouldn't get into too much trouble with. It's kind of like the Netflix um, kids functionality that just filters out everything apart from the kids section. And yeah, that makes yeah. sense. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, it, but it's adding on the app side of it. And, so and, on. and, and, apps, and yeah. they've just added on also a, a browser element. Mm. And that, you know, what, you know, I think limits to specific I guess whitelisted content as well. Mm. Um, so that's a that's an interesting approach. So that sort of ticks the box for him. Now there will be other stuff that he will come across, or he will have come across in the past mm. on on other devices. But as long as they keep a pretty good catalogue, um, he'll probably cope with that without us needing to have too much other stuff. Now it in part runs off the back of our uh, Prime subscription, so then we've got access to a whole lot of uh, content on Amazon Prime. Um, and when I think about how much that we actually consume in terms of video content, yeah. we don't actually need a, probably all of the subscriptions that we've got. So, Well, you can't, like you said, yeah. like how much time do you actually have? I mean, there are so many providers now, they're kind of saturating the market with all this content, and I only have so many hours a day. So unless they're going to solve that problem as well, I'm only going to stick to a few. And then the, the question just becomes like, who's got the best content or who can aggregate it in the best way for me to view? Because... You know, I can't physically watch all of that stuff at the same time. You know, and if it gets too hard, then you know, piracy ends up winning winning out. Again, right? you yeah. know, there's there's um, you know some simplicity we've had with these services, but it hasn't made piracy go away. And if it gets too complicated and too hard, then you know you probably see piracy yeah. uh, on the increase again. Uh, and interestingly, HBO is probably one of the ones that suffer mostly from that because yes, you can get HBO content from the, the the subscription models that are available in New Zealand and so on. But there seems to be um, because they 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 so far seem very tied to the idea of being US bound um, and not expanding that much apart from. That I, I I don't know. Maybe they're going to be one of the bigger losers if they don't do it. But then again, if HBO also become global, then what chance does a light box really have? You know, because the, be- the some of the best contents coming out of HBO, Netflix, and and probably I haven't actually seen a lot of Amazon's original content. I mean, Hulu's also playing with original content. They did the um, Stephen King one, the uh, JFK uh, uh, adaptation with. with um, Franco, James Franco. Mm. So, I mean, the, the, obviously, they're all kind of trying to play in that original content space. And that's the other question is, you know, if they're all prov- providing original content and then you've got the TV stations providing even more content, then then what's actually happened right now is you've got six more huge content producers and that's it. So now it's just, you know, it's even more people producing content that you might not be able to consume. It, it, look, it's really interesting. I, I don't know where it will go, but I, ho- I still hope that they do do that <laughs> and come here because I think it would be a good move. Yeah, I guess what we don't know is what that would look like. Will it be a very tiny catalogue? Will it just be uh, their own content that, they, that yeah. they've created? And, you know, of course, uh, you know, Amazon are creating a lot of content now and, and some of it is uh, is very, very good. So 
Yeah, there's a, a little bit of a weight there, but mm. overall positive. Now, also on a New Zealand front, Tesla, they've moved forward in terms of their uh, their New Zealand opening, and of course they'll, they'll um, they have showrooms soon. If you go through their website right now, you can order uh, order a, a Tesla, uh, and in, in fact, one of our uh, listeners was uh, messaging me the other the other day and um, sharing maybe it was just just yesterday uh, sharing with me the semi confirmation details he had received on uh, on ordering his uh, his his Tesla I think model model S uh, ludicrous mode so um, yes that's exciting and. I went through the process uh, of signing up also for a test drive because cool. you've got the you know the, their their interface lets you sign up for a test drive and they say they'll get back to you within twenty four to forty eight hours. I don't think they're quite geared up for that in New Zealand yet. <laughs> uh, so if you no. do want to uh, to test drive a Tesla, you might not uh, you might not get an immediate response. The fact that they're gearing up in New Zealand is awesome. I mean, it is great, and and you know they've been looking they've been looking to hire people in in Auckland. I know I don't know if there's anywhere else, but um, the idea of somebody like a Tesla coming and and uh, playing an active part in New Zealand, it feels really good. It feels like the right kind of move. I've got a few friends who've actually put down money not for the S, but for the uh, is it the Model X? Three, Model Three, uh, the the, yep, the, the new early one. pre-orders because and, and we don't know when good that's luck. going to arrive in New yeah. Zealand. It could be. Well, we don't know when he's going to arrive could, at all. Could, could be 2018, right? Yeah. So uh, I'd yeah. say it's probably yeah. quite likely. But it's it's still it's definitely cool that they've got the um the, they're bringing them down here now. I think that's a really good move. Yeah, yeah. It's uh, it's 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 never very good when the um the Australians have uh, have some new technology that we mm. don't have we don't get our hands on yeah. so easily, right? Exactly. So there's obviously a bunch of them floating around in New Zealand, but it, it makes the the whole picture a lot easier when they're yeah. actually uh, officially available. Maybe so we'll become a test stuff. market for them. That could be interesting. Maybe, maybe. Well, I think they probably do reasonably well in uh, in California and so on. There's a fair bit of enthusiasm there, but maybe they can test test something here. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's. I mean, they've already been tested. That side of it's already mm. been tested here, which is is great. So it'll be it'll be great to see more of that. So on the on that picture, as we move into this world of sort of you know self drive or autonomous vehicles, electric vehicles. We've got multi-mode transport. Mm. We're using apps to sort of bring together different transport modes. What do you think the picture will look like for you going forward in terms of what you'll be driving? I actually think that... Or riding in. Yeah, well, I think the riding in is the is actually the interesting thing. And the question is, actually, feels like ownership is going to become a very interesting part of it. Are you really going to be owning something or will it be a pay-for service where you just pay a monthly subscription or something to be part of some sort of ride-share scheme, which is part local transport, part Uber, part whatever it might be? I don't necessarily feel like I would need to own a vehicle. Um, I'd be quite happy to kind of use one as I go. Um, if that helps with other things like carbon footprint and traffic and everything else, I think that would be really positive. So I think the availability and the ease of use is going to be a huge thing. And then how intelligent <clears throat> the self-driving vehicles can be when it comes to traffic flow and control and these kind of things will also determine it. But for me, if I could get away with not having to own it that would probably be good but then knowing my love for technology i could see me buying one because i'd like my own self-driving car that yeah I yeah that's, customize that's or whatever a hard it might one, be right? isn't it? yeah so i don't know what, what do you think what do you reckon you'll do well i'm thinking there'll be probably two stages um you know between selena and i at the moment we we you know we have a vehicle each of it we've got a third at the moment which um you know we probably probably don't need um but you know that's beside the point <laughs> uh we, we won't have that for too long um but 
Yeah, I would say we'll, we'll move to one car. And yeah. you, I mean, I personally use Uber a lot, mm-hmm. and for a couple Same. of reasons. I really like the model, um, but also because I blogged about them quite early on and I grabbed the Uber NZ as, as my uh, Uber referral code. Um, for varying reasons, I've, I've tended to get a lot of free uh, Uber, <laughs> Uber rides off, uh, off, off credits and so on there. Um, so that makes it even easier for me to, uh, to use Uber. So I, I guess I was almost traveling and, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm paying sort of what I would imagine might be, uh, um, you know, appropriate in the future with a driverless sort of Uber yeah. uh, scenario. Yeah. And certainly for, uh, for my business, for Gorilla, I see, you know, our model will allow us to move away from where we sort of, you know, we've rented, a, you know, fixed premises with a lot of car parks has always been one of our challenges when we're, we're yeah. leasing premises as well. We probably need, you know, a little bit more than is normal for the, for the floor space that we have in terms of cars because our guys are always out and about. Uh, we spend a lot of time with our customers. It's sort of, you know, part of how we work rather than trying to, uh, uh, you know, do everything sort of nameless and faceless from behind a, a phone as is quite common in the world of, uh, you know, uh, the way, um, I guess, technology services firms work these days. We, we, we like to get to know our customers and, uh, and be in person. I'll tell you what, when you started talking about your coupons, this like vision of the future flashed past me, which was literally uh, free services, but basically you have to sample products in the self-driving vehicle and you have to listen to a sales pitch in the vehicle while it's driving you from point A to point B so that they'll try to sell you a timeshare or whatever it might be but you don't have to pay for the ride anymore but you'll be bombarded with advertisement messages. I could just see that being like one way that they might try to get you in oh, the future. Oh, absolutely. And it'll, and it'll be a, a variation on what we've known today because there's a lot more data. Mm. And so we, we've already seen that with, uh, you know, the service recently that uh, allows you to go and get your credit report for free. But yep. as part of that, they they learn a whole lot about you. Yep. And so on. So you imagine somebody that knows your, you know, a, a database that knows your net worth and all these yeah. other sorts of bits and pieces. Um, you know, someone that's uh, at the at the higher end of the scale that you know probably doesn't need a free vehicle to drive them around. Um, they they might get paid to go in a particular vehicle, yeah. or there'll be some other incentive. Yeah. And uh, but someone's going to pay a whole lot of money to uh, um, you know send, send messages or, yep. or uh, you know communicate with uh, some of our, our high net worth tech entrepreneurs in New Zealand. So uh, <laughs> the whole picture, as we uh, I guess data up, as it were, will be. Um, Probably horrible in some regards, but uh, there, there will be there will hopefully be some positive uh, flip sides to it. Um, That's fine. Yeah, and some yeah some some variations that that don't make it uh, you know too horrible for those that aren't uh, tech billionaires. Mm. Um, yeah, so I mean, I'm I'm pr- I'm pretty interested in where that will go. And mm. say so for for business wise, I think uh, we already use Uber a lot today. You know that type of service would become the norm, but I also think as the data gets better, as maybe we get sort of some aggregating apps. So the this whole multi mode concept, if you'd fire up a multi mode transport app rather than an Uber app, yeah, and you know I think of it sometimes when I'm at home or a particular location, I'll fire up the Uber app and it might tell me it's seven minutes away for a ride, and I've been in other. Uh, other locations, uh, whether it's New Zealand or, or internationally, where you know sometimes the ride could be more than ten minutes away, yeah. 
and you think in that type of scenario, it may well come up and say, well, actually, if you just walk 10 minutes in this direction, there's some public transport coming past that will pick you up and take you yeah. to the destination. And, you know, as we know, public transport is a lot closer to free than than what, you know, an individual vehicle coming to pick you up usually is. So that may really help with public transport as well and, and, and dragging a few of us that, you know, just don't bother because, oh, you've got to have some sort of weird payment method and, and, and so on. I don't have a public, whatever the public transport card is that I yeah. uh, that I need for Auckland at, at the moment. So, you know, every time I sort of think, oh, I'll just, oh, no, I've got to go and get the, yeah, yeah, yeah. Now, when you're in another city and another part of the world, usually you jump through those hoops because that that's how you, you, you get around with subways yeah. and and so on, um, but we can get a little bit lazy with those sorts of yeah, sorts no, of things. Uh, but as that technology comes together, you'll be able to just you know tap and pay through phones. And yep. I mean, and we've already had that happen here in New Zealand. Um, but you know, all of these things sort of combine a little bit better. Mm. The data comes together. I would uh, you know I'd, I'd imagine that will that will probably help with uh, with what options that you choose, and hopefully we'll be a little bit more uh, flexible. Those of us that are so used to just taking our own uh, own vehicles everywhere all the time you'd hope so uh, I, I definitely think that's it feels like that's where it's heading it's just uh, you know how quickly will it come and at what phase you know what stages will what parts of it happen but um i think the opportunity is definitely there now on to other news google earth has landed in a world of virtual reality i was now, really excited about this this is then, cool isn't it but then i realized i don't actually have a, a vibe <laughs> <laughs> so you needed an, an HTC Vive at the moment to get it, but of course it's going to be coming to, uh, you know, probably to to most platforms. I would imagine. I You'd mean, Go- so. Google aren't known for locking their no. stuff down uh, too much, other than um, other than making it rather difficult for people to get access to their stuff if they're running a, a Microsoft based phone. Um, other <laughs> other than you know, other than that. Uh, they're pretty good, right? Yeah, no, I agree. No, they are, and I mean, it makes sense with the Vive. I think as a as a launch platform, it is currently, I'd say, probably the best reviewed and most liked of the VR solutions. So, um, not hundred percent surprised that that's where they went. But um, yeah, just a bit gutting when you don't have one. But it it it, it seems it seems like a um, a natural progression, to be fair, of, of Google Earth. Um, I have actually really used Google Earth that much recently. I must admit. So maybe this is kind of you know, I use Maps. A lot, yeah, yeah. Well, I guess Google Earth allows you to, you know, really explore places to Mm. sort of the the next level. Of course, we have Street View as as well on um, on Google Maps, so we're we're sort of uh, you know part part way there. Um, But uh, yeah, I think you know it looks pretty cool being able to just you know zoom around these varying Mm. spots on the planet and uh, and look. What I think will be fun is when we get to that next level, and there's a level of just weirdness and scariness to this as well, but uh, where they are able to tap into live 360 3D uh, cameras. And so you could, rather <laughs> than just actually going in and, you know, one of the places you could go was the, the Hoover Dam, for instance, mm. and, you know, other places in sort of Cheap London holiday. and Seattle and all sorts around the world. Yeah, well, you basically, you know, your friend is somewhere and you're, and and they're like, hey, I'm in blah, blah, blah. You should come and, you know, come and join me. And it's like, you know, you drop on your, your 3D headset and, you know, you can be, you can be talking to them over... Uh, um, you know what, whatever comms mechanism, Skype or or otherwise, and uh, and actually seeing what's going on while they're uh, while while they're there. Uh, maybe that will be an option for future access to sport. 
Uh, yeah, that's, you can, not, you know, right. you, you that, can, that's pretty can, cool, though. That, you, uh, know, you know, tap, yeah. tap in and interact with people and zoom in on on their uh, their locations within the stadium whilst also sort of watching watching well, the game. Like, considering the level of, of surveillance, I mean, not so much in New Zealand, but I'd say in Europe and the US, that goes on these days through cameras and all that kind of stuff. If it at least was useful to me, then I'd probably not mind as much. Yeah. Like, at least if I could use it to do something that's going to be helpful to me, then I'd be quite happy. So maybe maybe that's where it needs to go: is make it useful, and then I and then I I'll, I'll won't be as worried about the surveillance and everything else. But no, it's it's a good idea. I like the whole three hundred and sixty idea and be able to join at a sport event, or whatever. That would be cool. Yeah. So you know, I think with a lot of this stuff, we are you know we're really still in the very much the early early phases, and uh, yeah. Um, it will become uh, more relevant, I guess, for uh, for use as the content improves. Now, you mentioned to me before we started about one of your friends who's what what is he using in terms of a three D headset? Oh, so Does he have a Vive? Yeah, no, no. So he's got the Oculus Rift. Okay. Is actually yeah. So my flatmate's got an Oculus Rift. And it is one of these things. That, you know, when it came when it, the first kind of prototypes came out, and I think we do this with technology. I guess it's with self driving cars and everything. We kind of go oh my god this is amazing this is going to be the revolution of it and then it kind of lands and the reality is i'd say he probably uses it once a month it's still the niche thing it's still not it it hasn't still got that kind of momentum yet i think the content um, even though they've tried to do a good good job to kind of get as much content out there as possible i think Again, it's one of these things where they haven't standardized VR. So you've got Oculus with their own standard. You've got the Vive with its own standard. You've got the PlayStation with its own standard. You've got Google with their own standard of VR. So again, they're just, they, you know, they've created these disparate platforms that don't play well with each other that people are going to have to create content and games and apps for that are going to be different. And the mind boggles why why standardization organizations are so hard. I, I know from a, I understand the monetary reasonings behind it, right? But I still struggle with it from a usability and a, and a, and a customer consumer perspective because you're making people have to choose a solution and then they'll have to access whatever content is available just for that solution. You know, you don't create... You know, if, figure if they did that for TVs, right? So every TV station had their own had their own technology solution, and you'd have to buy a TV that was the Fox News TV, which would be horrific anyway. Uh, but you know, figure if you had to I buy. I think that there'll be there'll be a few people that would buy one. Yeah, <laughs> there would be definitely about fifty percent people right now in the states. But but I, I, th- I think it's strange to me something like VR, yeah, that, yeah. that could be like Bluetooth or Wi-Fi, you know, whatever just creating a standard that everybody would have been able to build to, you know, even remember Blu-ray and HD DVD, just two formats. And that was a huge war. And now we're talking about four or five different formats, something like that. It's just, it will, yeah, it, it will, uh, it will shake down. Although, you know, things are, um, are much easier when you're not dealing with, um, the content being physical, it's mm. the, the you know the device is physical, so the content can actually float around yeah. and, and become available on multiple. But yeah, it is uh, it is a bit of a challenge, and I'm sure things will uh, will shake down mm. over time. Well, let, let, you, know, so. you kind of have to hope so anyway. Um, now, uh, Instagram they've uh, they've kicked off uh, live streaming today in uh, sort of you know Periscope and Facebook live style to some degree. We just did a live stream a few minutes ago before we started. Uh, you tried one out earlier yep. on in the day as well. 
what are your impressions? It seems like they they've not released sort of the full set of capability here. It's just no. uh, they're just just wanting to uh, you know test test people's curiosity to start with. It, fe- it feels like it, doesn't it? it it's it it doesn't feel feature rich. Um, it's slick. Like in- Instagram, I feel is very slick these days. Um, so that's probably the aspect I like of it. Um, I, th- I think we both kind of reacted the same way though when we realised that once you kind of um, go off live, there is no saving. That's interesting. Um, don't know if that's can, can be considered a feature. From a, a getting people engaged perspective, it makes sense that Instagram did this. Uh, you know, they are the preferred medium for a lot of people these days. I actually prefer Instagram way more than Facebook these days. I use uh, Facebook predominantly. I mean, um, I'm, I'm part running a group called The Streak of Geeks. So um, in that group, I get a lot of my news these days on, yeah, on, on yeah. content and technology. Yeah. But I don't post almost anything on Facebook anymore apart from in that group. Yeah. So I've become yeah. very group focused, whereas mm-hmm. Instagram has become a personal channel. So um, and I don't do Snapchat. So I guess I guess from that perspective, live makes sense. But it again, it's just yet another live platform. Like how many are there now? Yeah. Well, I mean, it's interesting because they're taking an approach that, in some way, is akin to the way Snapchat started, and yeah. that what you do live is really is only there for those who are and who are gone. live. And so they're initially sort of playing that up as, hey, you know, you can feel more comfortable sharing anything anytime. Um, so, you know, I'm sure this will this will get used for... Nefarious purposes. Um, well, <laughs> you know, whatever you want to call them. There'll be, there'll, you know, there'll be some, uh, some interesting content that, uh, you know, yeah. s- some people might not want to float around for... Uh, Eternity uh, for, for, for for too long. Mm. So yeah, it's 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 curious, and they're also launching disappearing photos and videos from groups and friends in uh, in Instagram uh, direct. So you know they're they're moving you know right into uh, into sort of you know Snapchat world yeah. there. So yes, it's. Um, well, I mean, considering Facebook did the move, and you know the the kind of the. I guess the different uh, ownership models and things like that makes sense to, for Instagram to do that. It is interesting that they and they also did a little bit of a polish on the um, icons and stuff. I've realised that gone gone is the camera icon. It's now a, a content plus symbol. I guess that's kind of a, a kind of showing that the times are changing a bit. And 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 um, so those things might seem like they're small, but I think from a what that means in, in what they're telling you, content's going to be in the future. It's interesting that they move away from things like that. Hmm. Mm. Now on to back onto uh, New Zealand type topics. We heard last week that the, the government are working on, and I, I reached out to um, to one of the telcos around this. The government are, are working on a mechanism that would send a tsunami alerts out to people's phones. Now we don't know whether this is just limited to tsunami uh, warnings, or whether we're going to do the earthquake uh, alerts as well uh, that already happen in, in some parts of the world. And the feedback I've heard about that is sometimes people will get these alerts and they use a special uh, communication method called cell broadcast which mm. um, is a sort of a you know one-to-many type yep. send and it's done on a per cell site or it can be done on a per cell site uh, basis and it holds priority so uh, so it should get through you know above mm. other other traffic yep. um, and other other communications so very small they'd, they'd, I think when I looked up the technical sort of specifications you've got 92 characters to communicate in but you can bunch a few of these things together so you could mm. you know block a, a, a quite a chunk more than there um, 
and I found this quite quite fascinating. I had a chat with the News Hub guys for an interview about this over the weekend, and the bit that they picked up from my chat was they ran with a, the headline of different areas need different tsunami warnings expert. Um, uh, I guess that's what they were calling me. Um, I don't know too, 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 too much about tsunamis. Um, but anyway, um, thanks, guys. Um, but I, I guess what I was trying to get to here is, is my thought is we've got huge amounts of data. We've got lots of sensors around the country, and maybe, yeah. maybe we need a lot more sensors. I don't know. But the issue at the moment is where people get alerts and whether it's sirens going off or other things, very, it seems to be very generic. You've, mm. you've basically got a on or off of, of an alert. That's yeah. about it. And so my thought is you use t- two things, this massive amount of data, and yes, there's a lot of work that would need to be done to make this accurate, uh, and, the, and then the location of the recipient. So my mm-hmm. thought is, and of course this would be added to whatever other systems there are today, and there may yeah. be other communications mechanisms as well, um, but if you're able to go out to someone's cell site, and this includes you know people that aren't from New Zealand, but they're traveling to New Zealand, yeah. they're connected to a cell site, so they get it as well. So reach a lot of people, obviously not those uh, in areas where they're not getting coverage. Yeah. But And apparently they reach through and will make a noise on your phone even if you're on silent mode. Mm. Um, so quite powerful in those regards. But then you need to draw on this data, come up with you know basically a system that can give some do some very fast analysis and hey we've got the cloud now so that should be possible to take the data that's coming off all of these uh, sensors and then feed something back that's local so if you're sitting on uh, uh, Takapuna Beach in Auckland and there's an earthquake in the South Island um, you know chances are probably you're going to be you know reasonably low risk of a tsunami Mm. But basically, the system would go ahead and analyze it and say, look, you know, here's the risk. Mm. Here's how far back you should get from the beach or where you should go to, whether you mm. should be, you know, walking, running, whatever, you know, whatever. Yeah. Um, so, look, we think this is, this is you know, this this is going to happen around, you know, X, Y, Z time if, if their data can do that. Mm. And, I, you know, I'm, I guess I'm making some, uh, you know, certainly making some guesses because I don't know the reality of, mm. of what they'll be able to do exactly. But if you're, say, on... Um, you Brighton Beach in Christchurch, uh, or living nearby to it, you might get a very different warning, which is, look, you know, run for the hills right now, or get inland. Uh, you know, this thing is imminent. It could be, you know, a five meter wave. And look, we're also at high tide right now, so that dramatically increases the risk. You I know, agree. I, I think and, and that, other I think, sorts of things, you know, like look, this is a nine out of ten chance of something hitting in Auckland. You get might be a look. There's one in a hundred or one in ten or, or we, something. But. You don't want it to be the car alarm of tsunamis, do you? Because I mean that that isn't that that is the risk that you run into if you mm. generalize a message too much and it's not and it's not regionalized. Yep. Then it will become the car alarm, and you go, oh no. You know, not a bloody quake alert again. You know, I'm, I'm in Auckland. This isn't affecting me. I mean, and and I think also if the cutoff point is too hard, then um, that is also bad because it might still be. It might still be that, like you said, it could still be that there are some kind of swells or whatever that you need to know about. So it's kind of like, well, you can't just go out with a blanket message because people are going to switch off and not care. So. Either they're going to get really scared and they're going to move even though they didn't have to and that's going to get really annoying or they're not going to listen at all. So without the regionalization um, and, and that kind of thing that you said about the, you know, the spectrum of messaging, I think it won't be as effective as a, as a tool as it could be and it will become the car alarm of, a car alarm of, of tsunamis and no one will care. 
and I guess what we had this time is there was a huge reliance on individuals, and so that was why we got these sort of mixed messages through Twitter and so on. Mm. So it's really there's a lot of work to be done there, but I yeah. think if we can rely more on the data and work out systems that are going to analyze that well, then everyone gets a better message and the message is coming up on, you know, you look at Twitter, well, you're going to get a generic message on Twitter because Twitter is, you know, it's that blanket for everyone. And so you, you've really got to go away mm. from that to, to more personalised and uh, and more relevant. I think this you know, potentially mm. can, can do that. And there can be ways to do that with Twitter as well. You get people to sign up to their region and so on, but, of course, people travel around the place. So that's where these messages are great because, yeah, they basically hit out one message per per cell site, and um, mm. yeah, there's there's some there's some smart stuff I think that can be done there. So let's wait and see what they do. It would be fantastic if uh, if what they do is is able to save some lives. And I you know I think the, the thing here with this last one was a time of day that you know that things happen because mm. it, and the um, you know the the fact that. Hey, look! It could have been a lot worse yep. than than what it was. You know, it's it's obviously tragedy for those people that have have lost loved ones. But boy, it's uh, it's great that it wasn't a, a much much bigger number. And you know, I think if we use this stuff well, hopefully we can uh, we can reduce that risk going forward. Now, other topics we had uh, KiwiCon on uh, that was taking place in uh, in Wellington last week. Lots of bits, bits and pieces uh, happening there. Always some some interesting stuff worth getting online and and watching any of those videos if you're interested in that. One of the areas that was uh, mentioned to me was was quite interesting. This was from uh, from Skip Parker, who's a, a local podcast, used to be on the New Zealand Tech Podcast. He was mentioning around some issues with chat apps and. Um, Basically, we've we've reached this situation where uh, you know we've got a lot of a lot of chat apps and you know chat bot, bots and things like that now, and basically now we're seeing uh, chat worms. And so um, yeah, so there was quite an interesting mm-hmm. uh, presentation on that, and most of the things that were raised there have have now been dealt with 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 security updates. But yeah, a number of chat apps because how how they were built, they were JavaScript based. We're um, yeah creating creating some situations where things could spread pretty easily from uh, one chat to another. So that was one of the interesting things. But there were, there was a whole a whole bunch there, and well worth well worth checking out if you're uh, mm. if you're interested. In terms of other bits and pieces that we wanted to cover off, we had Microsoft CEO um, Sachin Nadella in uh, in New Zealand last week, which isn't something that happens very often. Flew in on his private jet, um, <laughs> as these uh, these sorts of uh, CEOs tend to do. And he spent, I think he he flew in on a on a Wednesday evening, and then out again on uh, later on uh, on Thursday, but. Uh, he spent a bunch of time with uh, Microsoft local staff, of course. He was at uh, Microsoft Dev Days event, and I'll share a little bit of audio from that shortly. And I saw a picture from Nigel Parker, who was on the podcast recently with uh, Sir Richard Hadley and a signed cricket bat. And so um, so I'm, I'm guessing that uh, that cricket bat went to Sachin Nadella, and uh, Sachin probably uh, enjoyed some time with uh, Sir Richard Hadley uh, there, which sounded pretty cool. Off out to uh, local primary school, and you know, quite a, quite a bunch of other stuff. And there was some other interesting uh, news from Microsoft uh, last week too. But let's uh, let's jump in and just have a um, uh, a quick listen um, to a, a small taste of what Sacha had to say uh, while he was in Auckland and uh, speaking at that uh, uh, Dev Days event. 
our worldview is shaped by the fact that every business going forward is going to be more and more of a digital business. There isn't a retailer or a healthcare company, a manufacturer who thinks of themselves just purely in that industry, but they're increasingly going to have digital content in how they build their product, their service, how their business model works. And that creates an amazing, amazing opportunity for everyone in this room. It also creates, I think, responsibility for each developer to have a much deeper, broader impact in our economies and in our societies. So that's really the backdrop of what I want to talk about. So that was the intro from uh, from Sacha. But you had a bit of a look at the uh, the speech, and you heard mm. heard, heard some of it uh, there earlier as well. Um, I mean, I have to say, um, Sacha Nelder is, is a is a great communicator. Yeah, and you know he. He's he's such a different leader from uh, from from Steve Barber, Barber yeah. who was before him. You know, what are your impressions? It's, it's interesting. He's obviously more of a tech guy than 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 anything else, right? So, as a non developer, I actually found what he was saying was really interesting because it was a lot more about um, his vision of how people are going to be interacting and using things in the future and and how that's going to what the demands are going to be on developers to be able to develop in that kind of connected environment as well i found that really fascinating so i, I think he's actually i was very unsure when he took the helm what was going to happen i think there was a lot of people that were really concerned that he was going to be a, a, a an excuse me for saying it's like a tech nerd as in he was going to go deep into the tech and not understand to how to connect with consumers but like you said he's actually a great communicator um, and I had no idea that, it, that that was, you know, clearly this is one, it must have been one of his uh, great selling points. I think he comes across as a, as a, as a, as somebody who's, um, I don't feel, he doesn't have the world's domination, we're the world's best kind of Steve Barmer, uh, almost psychosis. I think he's got a very human element to him. And I think you can see that in the, in the range of, of products that they're putting out and how they're working right now. Microsoft feel more like an organic human company than they have before. So I find that really fascinating. And, and actually, there was things that he was touching on that I had no idea about, which were actually not so much about him, but about New Zealand. Like He's talking about data mine and, and the fact that they'd done this um, integration with HoloLens for the Auckland Museum, which I hadn't actually read anything about. I didn't actually know that existed. Did yeah, there were, I mean, lots. Of, I guess there are lots and lots of things going on. You, you just don't hear about no. them all. We, we certainly don't get time to give, uh, you know... Uh, Everything coverage on on this podcast. I just, I, I'm there, just there, impressed there's, with him. Yeah, there's some really cool. There's some really cool stuff. I, I, yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm impressed with him. I'm impressed where he's taking the company. I think that those the two press conferences, which were like three weeks ago, whatever, where they went well, product unveilings, and you had Microsoft doing the uh, you know the uh, Surface, um, Surface Studio, Studio. Yeah. and then and then the following day you had Apple doing the MacBook, and and it's not to get into the them versus us and Apple versus Microsoft and stuff because I find that kind of pointless. But I think that there was a, a shift in in innovation there that I found really interesting. I don't think I've actually seen it as prominent as it was there because you had one company going, hey, we've invented an entire new interface so that we can help creatives delve deeper into how they can do things in a digital world. And then you had the leader of, of kind of creative design going, we've added a touch bar. And it and it was a, for me that was a shift to seeing those two so starkly contrasted a day apart was quite amazing. So um, 
is it is, does it matter? No, because why did Microsoft get to that stage? Because it got pushed by Apple. Does this mean Apple can now get pushed by Microsoft to produce better things? Yes, probably. And they probably are right now. They're probably looking and scratching their heads and going, why weren't we the ones who did that? So I think it's brilliant. I love competition. I think it's good that it's where it is right now, to be honest. It's a good thing, isn't it? And and that's really, I think, what has changed Microsoft. Now, you know, Satya is, is, is definitely, you know, leading that charge within Microsoft. Mm. But, you know, last week there were there were a couple of interesting announcements. Uh, Microsoft has been joined the Linux Foundation, uh, the wow. top the platinum, plat, platinum uh, level. <laughs> so... You know, that compared to... See that under Barmer. You know, Barmer who sort of referred to Linux as a, as a cancer yeah. and now Microsoft is sort of... Re- they're really in boots and all with, with open source. And in fact, uh, you know, Google joined the, the dot, .NET Foundation and you know Microsoft have have really been you know open open sourcing you know lots lots of things as well. Now, you know, how, how far... Um, that will go i you know i i don't know but uh yeah the the you know the reality is that microsoft are in a completely different place than totally. uh, than, than where where we saw them years ago they, you know they're very much into uh you know into playing with others and and now the fact that they're they're getting that sort of broad i guess you know crossover with with other other firms with the .net foundation and having you know the likes of Google coming to play is um yeah it's it's it's, it's pretty interesting mm. I I got to say so totally. um yeah I think it's that reality that we probably you know I don't think there would have been few that could have predicted a lot of the things that are uh, that are going on um now one thing also that that has um just leaked out now this is something I've alluded to before because I thought something down this track was probably heading in our direction, but it's been uh, major media have now reported on it, and it's the idea that future generation of Windows uh, 10 coming out uh, next year, the the Redstone uh, 3 branch, which is, is probably in the direction of, of 12 months or so away, on Windows it is apparently going to be able to run Sorry, on Windows phones, this the Windows 10 will be able to run traditional Windows apps or x86 apps. So when we think of our our phones today, mm. you know they they don't run an Intel chip, and so we haven't been able to run those traditional apps. And we've been testing here over the last few weeks HP's new X3, which is a a, a larger format sort of phablet running Windows 10. And it's running the uh, the mobile or the phone edition of it. And one of our guys has been using it. It, it docks into his monitor. It's basically become his his PC huh. and his phone. So yeah. it's 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 very much your uh, do everything device. But the the limitation is he's got to use uh, a terminal server to run apps that aren't oh, okay. available on the phone and, and the continuum form. And so, you know, that that's okay in our case. He can, you know, he can use a terminal server to get to those, but it would be so much better if you could just install on there and run run any app that you wanted to. And, and totally. that's really the promise that we see with this future update. So um, it, it's interesting. Microsoft are really going to have to pull some things out of the hat, uh, but this sounds like one of the sort of things mm. that might help them for uh, for Windows to have any sort of future on, uh, mm. on the phone. 
Um, so I thought that one was just a little one worth mentioning. Now, the other gadget we've been having a, a look at, as well as the HP uh, X3, is Huawei's 9. The main thing I've done on that so far has been playing around with the cameras because this has got uh, dual cameras. You've got a, uh, a 20 megapixel black and white camera uh, on there as, as well as I think it's an 8 megapixel front facing and then you've got the main camera on the back which is 12 or 13 uh, megapixels. And yeah, that's it's kind of cool. You know, Apple are doing uh, doing something uh, similar to to what they're doing. They're, they're using that uh, second camera, and it allows you to. Um, and there's a lot of controls on the Huawei. I've got to say they've um, they've really opened it up to manual controls. But there's a, a depth sensing mode where you can effectively sort of pick varying apertures, and that changes the background in terms of level of blur. And you showed me that. That was. The cool. photos on it look amazing. It's crisp. The ones that work. Now, I showed you a couple of odd ones. Uh, there was one where it had blurred the, uh, it the like people. You didn't, the, it was one that didn't look like you liked your the family. Foreground. Yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. just blurred them out. Yeah. Um, so, no, I didn't do that by choice. And yeah. uh, there was another one where there was a sort of a hedge fading into the background. I guess it could have been anything, a wall or anything. And there was a reasonably hard line where that went to, to blurry. But where you've got people that are maybe standing apart from the background, it seems to work really well, giving you them in a really crisp view yeah. and then the, the, the background um, in that sort of more uh, blurry format that, that does make it look um, you know quite similar to the style that, that you'll, you'll get off your, uh, your digital SLR etc. And I mean and obviously that is the look that everybody's wanting and, and, and you can see where they're going with it and I, I'm, I find myself and I bought a DSLR which I don't have anymore and um, I, I definitely do miss it to a certain extent. And I think Apple is solving part of that problem with the whole optical zoom thing, which is obviously, I think that's going to be not a fad, but I think that's going to be one of the big new steps where they're all going to start stepping up the game is how do we add more optical zoom to these devices now? Because cameras are such an important part. Megapixels are completely pointless. So I don't think they're going to go there anymore. I think they've, they've, they've exasperated that. The dual lens functionality to get that kind of field of depth and the and the kind of blur focus and the you know the focus on the on the objects definitely a, a, an interest for people. You know, photos are becoming such a an integral part of our culture and Instagram and Facebook and all this kind of stuff. And the other thing being that kind of optical zoom functionality, so I don't need a DSLR when I go on vacation. Um, and if they solve that, I think they they they're gonna they're, go, they're gonna be favourites quite quickly because it is one of the areas where it's really important right now that people say, well, what is the camera like? Has become one of the biggest questions that people ask. Yeah, you know, and I mean, but that's I, that's a cool example. I do really like that. Yeah, and um, you know, they they were they were there with um, with a second camera. You know, before the iPhone uh, seven came out, they've obviously updated it again through their mm. partnership with Leica. Uh, I'm, you know, I'm kind of curious where where they will yeah. go, and and hopefully that's a long term partnership where we where we really do start bringing in more of those professional sort of camera capabilities mm. into our phones. I think that's relevant. Um, you know, I've also been using the Sony's Xperia X, XZ. And, you know, they've tried to bring through some of their capabilities as well from mm. their professional uh, cam- cameras down into the, the phone. So some some very nice stuff going on there. The other thing worth mentioning around the Mate 9, and there are lots of little bits and pieces, but um, you've got a big battery in there, similar actually to the the HP's X3. It's a uh, 4,000 milliamp hour battery, wow. so it's, it's, it's right up yeah, it's there. Yeah, grunty. And you, you need that for the bigger screens, but, you know, also... 
does give you some some really decent battery life. Mm. So, you know, very nice for for those that are really using their phone out and about a lot when you're at conferences and events and so on. You don't have to carry around so much in terms of spare charges mm. and, and bits and pieces. So, um, yeah, very nice. Uh, I mean, a really pretty slick handset overall, isn't mm. it? In terms of the oh, uh, you know nice. the the metal Thin casing. Bezel. Had a bit of discussion with them around waterproofing, and what they've told me is um, they've got the nano coating on this phone. Now, nano coating for waterproofing is what we first heard about, I think, at uh, CES when I went there three or four years ago. And, uh, you know, they, at that stage, there were companies showing off. You could send your device into them, they would yeah, nano coat it. In the States. And then you could, you know, you could put your device in the water. Well, this has got that nano coating on it, but what they're not doing is, a, is saying, look, this is a waterproof phone officially. And um, one of the one of the reasons, and I'm sure there's more to it than this, but one of the reasons they're saying, as soon as a you know you break a screen or something like that, then you you tend to yeah. uh, lose a level of uh, of of waterproof protection. So yeah, you know, I don't know how that will impact people that maybe break a screen on their their iPhone or yeah. you know or a Samsung or a Sony that is a, that is a, a waterproof phone to uh, to start with but Huawei are continuing with what they launched uh, a year or so ago which is if you smash the screen on your Mate 9 they will give you one free repair of that of that screen I mean, that's got to uh, be a winner. that's built in as, as standard. Um, I re- yeah, I think that's really cool, right? Yeah, I mean, How many people have you seen that have got a smashed screen? Or, you know, if you're like me, you've, you've smashed at least one screen, uh, if not more, yourself. The other thing they do is, and it's quite subtle. I don't know if you noticed it, but there's a screen protector actually on the phone when you buy oh, it. okay. So it comes like that from a manufacturing level. And if you've ever tried to put a screen protector on your phone. It's a nightmare. Uh, trying to get it without yeah. bubbles and everything else. So there's one in there that, um, yeah, you can take it off if you don't like the look of it but it because it's done at a at manufacturer uh you know manu, at the manufacturing stage it's done in a way that it, it looks a whole lot slicker mm. but you've still got the option of of, of you know getting rid of it if you don't it's, like it's that interesting look. the thing they mentioned there about the whole waterproof and the glass because actually i took my samsung 7 with me when i went to thailand and i actually did smash the corner of it and um, I didn't think about it and I used it like it was still waterproof and it actually was 100% fine for me in that scenario. But I totally get what you mean though, that, that, that obviously any kind of, you know, any kind of break or crack or whatever would kind of make you not feel as secure about it. So I get why they're not wanting to say that it's waterproof even though they're using the nano coating. But that, that technology is extremely good though um, and, it, and it is really impressive. But I, And I do really like what they've done about the get a, a free exchange of one because um, I think it's something like I think it cost me something like 400 bucks you know to change the screen because it's not just wow. the screen it's the whole th- like it's the whole thing they can't just change the screen anymore right um, it was actually I think, I think it was 450 or 350 I can't remember but either of those was that are, here in New Zealand yeah but either of those are ludicrous and that was through the official sort of channel yeah wow yeah. I mean, because I, I just can't imagine paying that much just for a, no. for a screen no um, it's crazy, but there was nothing else wrong with it. That was all I did. Yeah, yeah. Wow. So yeah, so it's you know it's yeah it's a really really interesting approach, and I think I mean that's one of the areas where uh, you know lower cost or you know any Android phones have sort of you know often won market share as those situations where someone's got an iPhone with a broken screen. Mm. And you know they're not at that stage in their contract to be getting offered a, re- a replacement. Yeah. So they think, well, what do I do? Oh, look, I'll just go and buy a, I'll just go and buy an Android because it's going to tide me over, and mm. uh, and away they and away they go. 
Now we've heard Apple are um, are getting out of the game of uh, of of making uh, routers, and um, you know they've they've obviously sort of been been changing a little bit of their 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 focus on some products that probably aren't huge money spinners. But uh, I guess my thought on this is, you know, it um, it does impact their ecosystem when they start dropping off products that. Uh, dedicated customers have been mm. buying for some time, and you know we're talking the the you know the Airport Express, Airport Extreme, mm. um, and their time capsule um, products, which have become the Airport time capsules in mm. in recent years. And I know a lot of people that really rely on on that kit. Mm. Um, you know they've just liked being able to buy the Apple product, use the Apple app to set it up. They haven't always been the most reliable products. They you know they they would. Uh, when you look at the reviews, certainly on Apple's site, I remember seeing some, you know, some some, some bad failure rates. But, Wi-Fi you know, in general it, doesn't really seem to have been their strong suit, but I mean, I mean, sorry, but if you, if the you, router side, yes, right, yeah. But if I mean, if you're in that ecosystem, I don't know. I'm, I just want wonder around why why Apple are, are doing this. Well, it's weird considering that Google are just getting in. Well, not just getting into it, but Google are getting into it yeah. as Apple, Apple exit. But Google obviously using it more of as a springboard for the whole Google Home concept and and so on. So I don't know. Is it is it, are they killing it because they're going to replace it with something more Siri based that isn't technically a router, or are they just going to completely kill it? Well, apparently they've fired all the st- or you know they've they've cl- you know closed down that division. So wow. um, yeah, yeah, yeah. I um, find it it's interesting. It's strange. Uh, I mean, you know, varying com- You know, all the big companies do shut stuff down, but uh, you know, yeah. it's not a, it, I wouldn't have thought it was exactly an area that they were losing money on. Um, but yeah, sure, they're probably not making uh, iPhone style profits on it. But, no. uh, but never mind. Now, look, you're a big gaming man that's a, you know it's been totally. a, a, a huge part of what you uh, you know your <laughs> yep. your interest in, uh, yep. in technology and and certainly uh, a key part of where my interest uh, started out uh, many moons ago although mm. uh, not you know not not such a live area uh, these days but we chatted a little bit earlier before we started around around the Nintendo uh, Switch there's been yeah. a few bits and pieces sort of floating around yeah. this new what do you call it? A it's switch. not a, not a, it's not a, not a console Across. as as such. It's kind of it's a. It is a switch. That's what I, I, that's, that's almost it. I don't, I don't know. It's a high, it, what is it? It's not a console. It's not a handheld. It, it's, it's a two in one. A hybrid. Yeah, it is a hybrid. Yeah. I look. I it's um, it's it. I think it's uh, it's really interesting because it reminds me more of the first Wii than anything else. Not the U and stuff like that, which kind of was experimental, but not necessarily in a good way. Um, I felt exactly the same way as when I saw the first Wii, which was. I don't get it. I don't know why you've done this. I don't understand it. And then a week later, I'm looking at it going, this isn't bad. I get what they're doing and I actually do want one. And the, I think that they, Nintendo are, if they're, if they're not, if there's, they might not be a lot of things, but they're definitely brave. Like they're definitely not following what everybody else is doing and they're definitely keen to play in the market, not against the other players, but like just create their own Create category. their own space, yeah. yeah. And very I lo- smart. And I love that. And I think the Switch actually does have a really big place to play because firstly I think there is this whole commuter and we just talked about it when we were talking about self-driving cars where is the future heading well commuter driven kind of environment where you're not probably not driving you're probably more passive and also a lot of people just commute in general anyway especially Japan I mean look at the target market here for this device they're not necessarily looking at North America the the biggest market they have to capture is their own so look at Japan look at how they commute 
a switch makes perfect sense. It's the device that you bring with you that you can potentially play on the subway system or wherever you might be on a bus that you then go home and plug into your TV. Like they've never really been too worried about high fidelity and processing power and stuff like that. They're more interested in what they can create from a content perspective that's going to be stellar. So if they can deliver on that promise and then also give you the portability, and we know they're also the only manufacturer that is still successfully selling portable playing devices you know sony tried with the whole um vr you know their, their line mm, of, of mm. portables it, it didn't work out for them and they had to kind of close it down nintendo are the only ones that are successfully still really playing that game for as a gamer i'm actually really interested it's it's one of the you know i just bought the the mini ness uh little yeah you know yeah. the retro yeah, gaming yeah, console i, I saw that so yeah. um how how is that it doesn't have hdmi does it you've got it's got uh, hdmi oh, it, does, okay. uh, it does have hdmi but it has insanely short cables right uh, insanely short cables so you had to buy extension cables so you can play with it so they i guess they were trying to be true to the original kind of like we don't we won't make them bluetooth or something we'll we'll stick with the cable yeah yeah um but I love it. It's really good. It comes with 30 games already in it. The user interface is is um, very. It's eight bit. All of it's, it's eight bit. It's all old school. Really isn't funny. It? That's completely cool. old school. So how much? How much is it? It was 120 bucks. Uh, they've actually you can't buy them anymore. They've they were, they had a pre ordered lot. Yeah. And now they're gone, and the stock is done. Globally gone. People are selling them for an insane amount, which is crazy because they're still coming out with more, but it's just not yet. Um, so like, I guess Nintendo has that kind of. Uh, really good touch with content. The fact that I can sit and play Super Mario Brothers, the original game right now, and love it that much means that I believe that the Switch works. I think they're one of the few companies that can get away with doing the Switch. I'm still not convinced about the actual ergonomics of the the, 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 the kind of the joystick part of it. And there's obviously some rumors that have come out about some patterns that people have seen about future uh, kind of, I guess, features that they haven't mentioned yet. Like there's a there seems to be a thought that there could be some sort of gesture um, control in it. There seems to be a possibility that it's got a mini projector. So if you bring it with you, you might be able to use the projector. Um, we'll have to see if those rumors play out and if they're true. But um, look, as as a, it's ex- it's exciting and it's vibrant. And the question is just going to be where it's going to land price wise as well. You know where they're going to sit. Yep. Yep. Oh well, it's all uh, it's all good fun stuff, and it, you know it's it's great to see that the gaming world still has some innovation and yeah. uh, and, and competition. I mean, very hard to know how it will land in terms totally. of its, its success, particularly outside of uh, outside of Japan. But as you say, it's uh, it's it's good that Nintendo aren't just sort of fitting in the box and doing the same as everyone else. Yeah, no, I agree. It's cool. All right, well, uh, that's us for uh, for this episode. Thanks, everybody, for listening in. Peter, where do people track you down on online? You're on Twitter these days. I'd love to say that I was everywhere, but I'm not actually. I've given up on Twitter, so that's maybe a subject for another, another week's episode. I am on Instagram. I am Pete tech, and then X. Pert Pete on Instagram, so you can follow me there if you want to. That's kind of where I, where most of my exploits tend to tend cool. to be shown. Cool. Oh, that's uh, that's great. Thanks for uh, thanks for coming in on the show. Uh, thanks for having me. Yeah, no, it was good. Um, great chat. And yeah, listeners can track me down on on Twitter at Paul Spain and across most of the other uh, social networks. And as I mentioned before, I'm I'm tending to do bits and pieces of live streaming video and so on on Facebook now. So certainly feel free to uh, follow me there, facebook.com slash Paul Spain. That's us. Thanks, everyone. We'll catch you again next week. See ya. The New Zealand Tech Podcast. Brought to you by Gorilla Technology, proactive and strategic IT.